You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. standing. So 2022, what do you think? I got one word from the Lord on 2022, and it was this. 2022 is not going to be like 2020 and 2021 in a good way, but that's all I got. Stay tuned for the specifics as we go through the year. But about two or three weeks ago, I thought the Lord spoke very clearly. To me, at least, 2022 will not be like 2020 and 2021 in a good way. So remember the book of Acts? Vaguely remember the book of Acts, that book in the Bible in the New Testament, everybody? Is anybody out there? Come on, come on. 2022, start of a new year, excitement. No, no excitement. Jeez. This is going to be an exciting year. I don't have specifics, but I know it's going to be an exciting year with the Lord. There's no question in my mind about that. If I'm wrong at the end of the year, you can stone me. With tennis balls. Tomatoes. But remember Acts... And the last time we spoke together from Acts was November 21st. It was the Sunday after I was discharged from the hospital. So I'm not even sure if I made any sense up here that day. I'm trusting that I did. But the text that day was Acts 11:21 in the rest of the chapter of Acts. And the power of the Lord was with them. A large number of these Gentile believers a large number of these Gentiles believed and they turned to the Lord. And that was back in November. And this is January 2nd, a new year. We have not been in the book of Acts for all that time. And there are reasons, and I don't know if I need to go into them. Maybe it'll come out in a message, but there are reasons why we didn't. Instead, we entered in, launched into a three-sermon series on Christmas. In any case... It's time to resume our series through Acts. And we pick up again in Acts chapter 12. Will you stand with me? Josh, will you come forward? Josh is going to read for us Acts chapter 12, quite a few verses, 1 through 19. But we won't be covering all of them today. Because that's the section. About the time King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard post and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from the Jewish leaders, and he planned to do and what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. 
He knocked on the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He, mentioned, he motioned for them to, be quiet, to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion amongst the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, and you may be seated. We honored God's word together by standing. So this is Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11, we already covered that. We were up, most of the time, we were up in Gentile land in those chapters. We were getting a glimpse of what God was doing a couple of hundred miles north of Jerusalem. The church had gradually been working their way north, telling people about Jesus everywhere as they went. The gospel advanced all the way, all the way to the city of Antioch, which is where the Gentiles were getting saved in Acts 11. Many, many Gentiles were coming to the Lord. Revival was full-blown at that time. Now in Acts chapter 12, Luke's focus shifts from Gentile land south to Jerusalem, but only for a chapter, and only to inform us of a couple, two incidents that he, for some reason, wants us to know. Once we get out of chapter 12, which will not be next week, but the week after that, and we hit chapter 13, there's no looking back. Jerusalem's in the rearview mirror. The remainder of this book, from 13 on, is the church taking the gospel to the ends of the world, which was in accordance with Jesus' mission, right? Start at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the world. We're seeing that play out before our very eyes in the book of Acts. And once we hit 13, Jerusalem and, and these areas we've been looking at, Judea and Samaria, God's still working there, but the focus now is on the ends of the earth, the then known world. The then known world. That's the introduction. That's the brief review. Now, for today, we want to take one last look at a couple of things that were happening in Jerusalem. And the church was under attack. Sometimes I come into the pulpit and I'm not 100% sure what God wants to accomplish. I, I always believe I have what he wants to say or I wouldn't come in with it. But sometimes I come into the pulpit and I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt of what God wants to do on a particular day. And that's the case today. Many of us, knowingly or unknowingly, are carrying stuff. Some from the last two years, some more recent. Some we're aware that we're carrying and we're dealing with and we're struggling, battling it. Some, some of it we're not even aware. We, we as humans have a survival mechanism since Genesis 3, once sin hit the race. And we're able to suppress things in order to survive. And many of us are carrying things. And I believe today God wants to encourage. He wants to strengthen for, for a generic word, he wants to minister. That's why you're here today. He wants to minister to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen you and me. And he wants to minister to us. And it's not just so that we can be ministered to. That's very important to God because he loves us so much. But it's so that we can be equipped and strengthened and emboldened for what he wants to do in 2022. He wants to... I don't know if set us free is the right word today, but just minister to those 
hurts or whatever those things are that we're carrying that's keeping us from really being having a full experience of God and what he wants to do. So from that perspective, I'm really looking forward today, but it might be kind of a tough message for us as well. So the church was under attack. Acts contains two accounts, Acts 12 contains two accounts related to the church in Jerusalem. And then there's one side note in there. Josh read it. It was the, the, uh, the death of Herod is also in Acts 12. Maybe you didn't go that far. But the death of Herod is, is in Acts 12. But we're not going to really concern ourselves with that. We're going to concern ourselves with these two incidents. The death of the apostle James. And by the way, if you thought it was confusing that Peter said to the church, tell James about this when the apostle James had already been executed, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the head of the Jerusalem church by that time. There's a number of James in the New Testament. So we're going to look at the death of the Apostle James and the arrest and imprisonment of the Apostle Peter today and next week. Today, just the death of the Apostle James. James. Luke doesn't go very much into detail at all about it. But I want to try and make it as relevant for us as possible. This, this title could actually have been Lessons for the Church Today from the Death of the Apostle James. So at that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also then arrested Peter. So listen, a new wave of persecution is hitting the church in Jerusalem. Only this time, it's not the Pharisees, and it's not the Jewish religious leaders. This time, it's from the big guns. This time, it's coming from King Herod. This time, it's coming from the Roman government. And Herod doesn't mess around with the small stuff. He went right to the top. The phrase here that says... He began to persecute some believers, probably refers to the leaders and the top leaders in the church. The Apostle James, Peter. He had the Apostle James killed, most likely beheaded. Killed with a sword, beheaded. Then feeling his oats off of that and realizing he had the approval of the Jewish population in Jerusalem, the mob violence... He went after Peter and he imprisoned him with the intention of offing him as well. Luke devotes the larger, much larger portion of chapter 12 to this account of Peter. But when I was reading it, I just couldn't run by this mention of the death of James. I want to talk about it. And perhaps we can gain some application for us today. Lessons from the death of the Apostle James. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. Don't miss that phrase, John's brother. I want us to really think about this, John's brother. James and John were biological brothers. They were very close in age, and they grew up together. Listen for this word, together. James and John were biological brothers, close in age, very close in relationship. They grew up together. You can picture them as kids going to synagogue, which is similar to our Sunday school, and then temple worship, which is similar to our worship service, together. They learned about God together. They entered their father's fishing business together which is, by the way, where Jesus recruited them out of the fishing business. They left all they had. They left their family. They left, they left their friends. They left a prosperous business to follow Jesus together. They were all in, following Jesus come what may, together. They're often mentioned in many of Jesus' ministry escapades together. James and John, James and John, James and John. You could say they were inseparable. They were always what? They were always, one more time, they were always, 
but they didn't die together. Suddenly, James was taken and John was left. James was cruelly ripped out of John's life by an evil, godless king. James was, and John was left. James was martyred in 44 A.D., and history has it John lived until 100 A.D., 56 years longer. Two points I want to make from this account of the death of the Apostle James, and hopefully we will come away encouraged, strengthened, and equipped for facing things in this life that ultimately come. Here's the first point. An admonishment to us again from the Holy Spirit to get below the surface when we read Scripture. Don't just skim over what's being said. Get below the ink on the page. Think and meditate on what we read. You know, we're not actually ever commanded to memorize Scripture. Did you know that? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. We're never commanded to memorize Scripture, but what are we commanded to do? It's another M word. Meditate on it. We're to meditate on Scripture. It means running it over and over in your mind, thinking about it, getting all the angles, asking the Holy Spirit to open it up to us, and then we don't have to memorize it. It becomes a part of us. When I had my first interview to go into ministry, which was way back, 15 years before I ever went into ministry, and I gave all the right answers, and one of the guys interviewing me said, boy, you really studied and memorized this stuff, didn't you? And I said, I didn't memorize anything. I just read it and meditate on it, and it becomes who I am. And then when you ask me these questions, I can give you the answers. You become so familiar with it, it becomes a part of you. Let the Holy Spirit open up the scriptures to us when we read. If you're eating your donut on the way to work and you're trying to get two minutes of the word, it's better than nothing, but it's probably not going to do much. You need to spend time with the Lord, time in his word. You speak to him prayer, he speaks to you through the word. If that's not your practice, 2022 is a great time to start. So just because Luke doesn't go into much detail on James' death, because, see, he has a purpose. He has a narrative that he's trying to write, he's trying to accomplish. And he didn't feel for some reason that he needed to stop and focus on James' death. But we can certainly pause. And we can let our sanctified minds, under the, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we can ruminate on this and gain from it. John... Peter, James' family, the Jerusalem church, they all felt the sting of this loss. You don't take a hit like that and not feel it. You don't take a loss like that and not feel it. They felt the grief. They felt the mourning. They felt the temptation to say, what's the use? They felt the temptation to become depressed and to become fearful. James was beheaded. Top dog in the church. One of the pillars of the original 12. Gone. Like that. You don't just move past that. Although God equips us to cope with it. Think about these kind of questions. How did Zebedee. That's James and John's father. He, was the, he had the fishing business they were a part of. How did their father take the news when it reached him? One of his sons was just martyred for Christ. Never see him again. Earthly speaking. I'm sure he pictured with his wife, if she was still in the picture, pictured James and John as little boys playing along the lake, often taking them fishing with him. See, this is real-life stuff that you don't get from ink on the page. James, the brother of John, was killed. Peter was in prison, and here's what happened to Peter. For me, we can't just gloss right over that and move right by. There's too much rich stuff there that I think right now we need. These guys, these 
Peter, James, John, these spiritual pillars, these strong men, they were not robots. They were not devoid of feelings and emotions. They were human beings just like us. And actually, James chapter 5 says that Elijah, remember the great prophet Elijah? It says Elijah was as human as we are, with the same emotions and the same passions we have. All of God's men and women are just as human as we are. There are no supermen and superwomen. They felt this loss. This is what makes the word of God so real. So relevant, so relatable. If you get below the ink on the page and just reading it for knowledge, instead read it for what's really being said and what God is saying, it becomes so real, it becomes so relevant, and it becomes so relatable. We all share the same human experience. There are no supermen. But pastor, we're spiritual in Christ, right? Right? But we're spiritual in Christ. I know that. But we're also human. And it's like Sherry said in her membership interview in here, I know God is always with me. I know he's my help. I know ultimately it's him. But I need some skin. I need some flesh and blood. I can't just be alone in this human experience. And that's God's design. He is all we need. But part of how he ministers to us is through each other. That's why Jesus, as son of God, took on a human form. So he could totally identify with us. He shared in the human experience. Think about that. Jesus became man. We run right over that. But he shared in the human experience. He shared hunger and and he shared temptation and he shared grief and he shared mourning and he shared every emotion and passion that we share. He had to so he could totally identify with us and then die for us. And now we have a high priest who is not touched by our weakness. We can come to him in these times. Because he knows and he understands. And he doesn't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Uh, you should be able to handle this by now. You've been a Christian X amount of years. Never. He welcomes, welcomes us in and he ministers to us because he went through it. And he never says, this is the 10th time you're going through this. Why have? No, it's the first time for him because he forgets the past. Luke doesn't really say this, but this is my opinion because the church sort of went into hiding. They were praying earnestly various places in the city, but they were also hiding because when Rhoda went, they had the door bolted and locked. So Luke doesn't say this, but this is my opinion. James's death rocked the church of Jerusalem, just like our church was rocked a short while ago with the death of our beloved brother Ray. They're no different than us. We're no different than them. They were feeling the same things then that we felt a month or two ago. Emotions, grieving, mourning were running at a high level in the church, probably along with fear, confusion, and concern for the future as well. So application. This point we have on the screen. The application is actually when you read God's word, when I read God's word, don't just skim the surface. We've got to give it time. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to give God time to open it up and let us see below the ink on the page. With the, hope, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we try to imagine the real life that's going on there. The real life that's happening under the ink on the page. Put yourself in the story. How would you have felt if... If you were John's, if you were James' brother, if you were John, if you were Zebedee, if you were a member of that church, how would you have felt when word arrived that James was beheaded by Herod and Herod was on a rampage and now he's gotten Peter? Who are we going to call to raise people from the dead if he kills Peter, right? 
bring it home. How do you feel right now? These days, because of what's happening in your life, what you've been experiencing, what's going on around us in our nation and in our world. And then here's the bottom line of this thing. There's tremendous hope because as we put ourselves in the midst of this messy, trying human experience with, with all of its aspects, we need to let God meet us there. Sometimes we think we can only meet God on the top of the mountain. And what percentage of your life have you actually been on the top of the mountain? Versus the valley or somewhere in between. No, let God meet us there. Sometimes at the top of the mountain, sometimes in the lowest valley, sometimes in great brilliant light, sometimes in blackest darkness of this human experience. We're in it, whether we like it or not. We'll be delivered from it someday, but we haven't been yet, so we're in it. And we're in it together. Let God meet us there, right in the midst of real life, human life, the experiences that we all share. He wants to meet us there. He is the solace and the comfort. He is the strength to go on and move on. He gives us ways to cope with this. One of them is each other, and another is something I'm going to show us in a minute. He usually, he mostly accomplishes this. Through the word. Even when it's with one another, it's the word coming through our brothers and sisters that strengthens us and moves us forward. So just another time to say, I'm sure I've said it before, we got to be in the word. We've got to be reading the word. It's to our hurt if we're not. Are we going to lose our salvation if we don't? No. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. We know that. Are we going to survive this life as a Christian? Maybe yes. Are we going to thrive and be useful to God and effective in kingdom service if we're not reading the word? No, 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 absolutely not. Because we'll be tossed by every circumstance that comes against us that is is a, a negative thing. We'll be tossed and we'll be floored. And when we're challenged, we won't be able to meet that challenge if we're not in the word. We will cave. We will bail. We will not stand strong if we're not in the word, if we're not strengthened by the word. I want to give us some relevant scriptures for just to consider when we experience these difficult times. And you can put these in your arsenal. First one, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Can you imagine how special this verse would become to John and to Zebedee and John's family and his friends and the church in Jerusalem at this time? See, they knew the Old Testament scriptures. They would have known this scripture. They would have got it from early childhood on. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. I wonder... I wonder, did they cling to this verse as they mourned the death of John, of James, I'm sorry? Did they cling to this verse? Was this what helped them cope and helped them to move on? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Another special verse for those trying times such as this, such as that. Not just in times of mourning the death of a loved one, but in all the adversity of life. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. James is dead. Peter is in prison and may be dead tomorrow because Herod made it clear that was his plan. First James, they liked it. Now Peter, and he's done. Short of an angelic visitation. Many in this church were brokenhearted. Many in this church were crushed. And I just wonder, did they meditate on this verse? And did they feel his presence come to them and come among them? As they read, wait, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's right here with us. 
He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's going to take care of us somehow. Did the remaining leaders in the church, I wonder, James is gone, Peter's in jail, they're out of the picture right now. Did the remaining leaders of the church begin to exhort the people of the church with this scripture and many others like it? And did the church find it a great comfort to know that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues, he delivers those whose spirits are crushed? You, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. Let me give you a list of synonyms for afflicted. Distressed, upset, troubled, worried, anxious, suffering, grieving, mourning, anguished, deeply hurt, fearful, and many more. It would be hard to find anyone in here right now who hasn't or isn't experiencing some of that in your life. My life. And yet you, O oh Lord, hear the desire of the distressed, the upset, the troubled, when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're suffering, when we're grieving, when we're mourning, when we're anguished, when we're deeply hurt, when we're fearful, when we're afflicted. You hear the cry and you encourage them. That means to strengthen. It's a glorious promise from the Lord through his word. See, if you're not reading the word you don't know these promises. How can you stand on promises you don't, are not aware of? When people come in to see me, I don't do a whole lot of personal counseling. But when people do come to see me and their life is falling apart, blah, 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 what's the first question I ask? Are you in the Word? And unfortunately, I can look you in the eye and say, most Christians say no. Then you don't know the solution to your problem. You don't know what's going to help you resolve your issue because you're not in the Word, and that's where it's going to come from. You can go see a secular psychiatrist or psychologist if you want. Maybe they'll help you. But if you're coming looking for a spiritual solution, the first thing is you got to get into the Word. You've got to be reading the Word. It's going to be our, my opinion only, there'll be many regrets at the judgment seat of Christ for us, but the good news is we're in. But one of the deepest regrets, is, re, deepest regrets we're going to have is when we see how little we read the word. And when God says, this is what I could have done through your life, but it wasn't able to happen. Soon as something came at you from life, you fell apart because you didn't have my word to stand on. You didn't know my word. Yeah, well, Pastor Hub never told us, uh, 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 no, sir. One of the first things I determined when I became a pastor was that nobody will be able to legitimately stand before the Lord and say, well, we never heard. Pastor Hub didn't tell us. What you do with what I tell you is on you, but I am telling you. Hey, if you, if you want to encourage yourself, do a word study on the word afflicted in the Bible, but especially through Psalms and especially in the King James Version. And you will begin to see how God relates to the afflicted. One of the first things we believe when we're afflicted is God doesn't care. God's not here. That comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you, read, when you do this st word study on afflictive in the Psalms and you see how God truly relates to us when we're afflicted, you're going to be blown away. God is close to the brokenhearted. He hears the desire of the afflictive. He encourages them. He listens to their cry. One further verse on this section, and it's a New Testament verse, so it wasn't really in print yet, but I'm sure they knew it. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Did you hear that? Would you say that? For me to live is Christ. For to me, do you really believe that? 
If you do, it changes your life. It revolutionizes your life. It's a great verse to live by. When I was speaking about abortion the other week, somebody knew that I was going to to say the things that I said, and they said, maybe you better not say that from the pulpit. And I said, why? Well, you could get your... They weren't being hostile or anything. They were genuinely concerned in the culture today. You could get yourself in trouble. You could maybe even get yourself killed when you start taking stands like that. And without even thinking, this is no credit to me, without even thinking, my response was, well, great cause to die for. And you know why I can say that? Because for, to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's no credit to me. That's something God has done and is doing in me. And in you, in many of you, I see it. The NLT makes this even clearer. I like it in the NLT. For to me, living means what? Living for Christ. And dying is even better. If we have to die because we're living for Christ, that's great gain. All the time, especially in those afflicted times, those difficult times, devastating times, focusing on our purpose in life, living for Christ, Understanding the fact that, hey, we will all die and be with the Lord someday anyhow. Ideally, dying is more desirable than living with the best of this world. This has been a mainstay for believers for centuries, enabling believers not to crumble, but to remain strong and to press on. I wonder if the church in Jerusalem thought about these things. I wonder if that's what allowed them to not spend a lot of time grieving and mourning, but to begin moving on. Because they understood, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. James has already gained eternal life, and we will be with him shortly, no matter how long we live. I wonder if that strengthened them and enabled them to carry on. Paul actually had one other thing to say on this matter. He said, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better. Did you hear that? Which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue here with you. For Paul, living in this world was ministering for Christ, living for Christ, serving Christ. But he longed for the day when he could depart planet Earth and be with the Lord, which is far better than the best this world has to offer. Are you still listening? All right, well, I have a challenge for you then, for us. If you're a professing believer, you say you put your faith, you put your trust in Christ, and you're a believer, you're saved. And you're still living for this world and the things of this world. Now, I'm not talking about gross sin. Most of us have gotten beyond gross sin. Hopefully, I'm not aware of any. You know, I'm not an adulterer and I'm not a murderer and blah, blah, blah. Well, good. That's great. But it goes so much further, so much deeper than that. What are you actually living for? What are you awakening in the morning with a passion for? Living for Christ and his kingdom, looking for opportunities to serve him, or this life? And just the stuff that this life has to offer that dulls us and makes us not sharp as believers, or confident or convenience. You know, I'm old enough now that most, world, most of the world's toys don't interest me. I don't have to have this or that, but I love my comfort and convenience. If we're still living for the things of this life, the things of this world, then, you know, when these, when these crushing blows come in, we got no buffer. When the things that we've been living for in this world are touched, including our loved ones, how do we handle that if that's what we've been living for? Come on, are you with me? Man, there's been several places for some good amens in here. We got no buffer. We got nothing to fall back on. The things that we were hoping for and trusting in and getting our pleasure out of are being taken away. It's part of why God allowed this world to be rocked for the last two years. 
to wake up the church. The things you've been living for, the things that you want and you've been putting your trust in, man, they're, they're temporal. Get your eyes focused on the eternal. Not only is that good for you, but God's saying, I can't use you if you're not in that mindset. One of the reasons God spoke to us about abortion for two weeks in a row is because he's about ready to do something, and he was letting his church know that he's going to do something, and he wants to know if we're on board with him. He needs us to be on board with him because he works through us. This is my opinion. There's a teaching in the church that God is sovereign, and he is. Meaning nobody's higher than him, and nobody can tell him what to do. He can do what he wants. But we fall into the trap of thinking, oh, God will just do it anyhow. There's many, many things, in my opinion, that God has wanted to do and he hasn't been able to do because the church wasn't in a place that he could work through us. Because we're so busy living for the world and the things of the world. It doesn't affect his love for us. That's not what I'm saying. But it certainly affects our usefulness for him. Man, God is trying to wake up the church in 2022. Why? Because he's planning on doing some great things in this world. When these things come into our life and they begin to touch the things and the people that we love, we have no buffer. That's when our world is rocked. That's when our life is rocked. We're called unprepared. We're tossed by the dark forces, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and you've battled them, and you know how powerful they can be. And what's the only thing to really battle them with? The Word of God. God doesn't love you. Oh, wait, God loves me with an everlasting love. You need to be afraid of this. Wait, those who put their trust in the Lord do not need to fear anything. They don't fear bad news. It's only the Word of God that counters this attack of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Our own reasoning is, will not stand up against it. They'll just run right over that. Yeah, but you know, I think that... If this is you, if this is me, and what we've been living for, um, the priorities need to change in these days ahead. What better time to start? To present yourself to the Lord, fresh new start than the first Sunday of 2022. So let's wrap this up, but I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul, finally, and then there's two more chapters. We're going to wrap it up with the second point. Do you need to stand or anything and shake it out? Go ahead, just take a, take a moment and stand, like we used to do in grade school. Rachel needed to stand, and Jamie did. Shake it out, get the cobwebs, get, get yourself ready to hear another barrage of the word. Here's the second main point. Life with the Lord, it is not random, and it is not without rhyme or reason. It just seems like it is. James was killed, and as we're going to see, Peter was spared. That hardly seems fair. When you read it, did you, when you read those kind of things, did you ever think about that? Wait a minute. Why was James killed and Peter was spared? Why did James die in 44 A.D. and John lived to the year 100 A.D.? Well, that doesn't really seem fair, does it? What do you even do with this? It can give us huge faith problems. The imbalance of this life, the injustice the seemingly randomness of it all. It's all out of control, seems like. And there's so many whys that we want to ask. Why this and why that and why not that and why not this? You've seen circumstances, you've seen situations in your life that seem to have no rhyme or reason, totally random, Totally unfair, so to speak. And here's maybe the worst part of this, at least for me. God may very well never have explained to you why. Am I right? 
You're carrying some things that you've wondered why, and God never explained why to you. Am I right? When our first grandson died, and another baby in the same hospital born just as prematurely as him lived. Why? That doesn't seem fair. And when our daughter-in-law died, everyone wanted to know why. She was no better or no worse than so many other people. But she gets this rare breast cancer and, and dies from it at 30-something, two little kids. Everyone wanted to know why. And because I'm a pastor, they thought I should know why. So all of Nate's friends would come to me or at some point ask me why. Why is God allowing this to happen? I don't know. I don't know to this day. For your information, I don't ask why anymore. That question just doesn't seem to get answered for me. Why is James dead? Why, why are Peter and John going to live on? I wonder if Zebedee struggled with that, James' brother. Why, God? James gave his life to, to your son. He's serving you full-heartedly. Why would you take James? There's so many of those professing Christians, and they don't really even care. And James was on fire, and you took James. Why? Was it because God didn't care about James? Was it because maybe God thought less of James than Peter and John and some of the others? The answer is no, not at all. And I want it to become relevant for us because we sometimes think that about ourselves of why bad things happen to us. That we're somehow lesser, of lesser estimate in God's eyes. Listen, James was one of Jesus' select three guys. He was in the inner circle. Jesus took James and Peter and John up on the mountain to witness the transfiguration. Only three of the 12 got to see that, and James was one of them. Jesus took James and two others, Peter and John, into the bedroom of Jairus' servant or daughter when he raised her from the dead. Only three of the 12 apostles, let alone all the crowds, got to see that, and James was one of them. There's no way that they, he thought any less of James they figured take him out. It was not because Jesus was less, cared less about James than others. And here's what I want us to know. I have no clue why he allowed James to be beheaded. I'm just like you. That makes no sense to me. But I know this. It's not because he didn't care less about him, and that is never the reason. When bad things come into your life, it's never because God has turned his back on you or started caring about you less. Never, never, never. And that's why I don't ask why. I have another go-to question. What is it you want me to learn in this? What is it you want me to do? When they dumped me in that bed in the, in the, in the hospital and I knew I could live or die, and my, I didn't ask him why. There was a temptation to, but I just said, what? Okay, what do you want me to do while I'm in here? And the answer was, I want you to use this time to get to know me better. He answers the what question, but he very rarely answers that why question of why he's doing things. Guess he feels he doesn't have to explain himself because we're supposed to trust him completely. Those of us who think we really trust him fully could be in for a shock when we see how little we trust him. Truly. Peter, the one who's actually spared, writes in his letter years later, Hey, God is no respecter of persons. God has no favorites. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Peter had this incident with James in mind when he wrote that. Look, I am not any better or more favored than James just because his life was taken and my life was spared. If you really want to get down to it, maybe James was the more highly favored because to live is Christ, but to die is what? We were confronted with this issue not too long ago, the randomness of life, as we went through the Christmas story. And how could God allow a Roman census a few days before Jesus' birth? And then we saw all the reasons why. 
in that case. We more than often don't know why these seemingly random things happen, but we can definitely know some things that will help us cope, and that's how I want to end today. God did not leave us hopeless. He did not leave us at the mercy of life in this world. You know, they sing that one Christmas song, If the Fates Allow. Next year we'll be together. If the fates allow, I can't, I can't take that. Every time that song comes on, I change the word fate to the word Lord. And we will be together next year if the Lord allows. We're not at the mercy of fate. We're at the mercy of the Lord, and that's a great place to be. Fate doesn't really have much mercy. God did not leave us hopeless and at the mercy of life in this world or under the sun, as we've been reading in Ecclesiastes a while back, where everything is meaningless and vain, and it is. If you're living for this life, it's meaningless and it's vain. Boy, you're expending energy that could be used so much more wisely. Here's some scriptures to close out with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Trite, but true. The key to coping with these situations that come into our lives, often unexpectedly, is to completely trust in the Lord and don't even try and figure out why. If God chooses to tell you why, that's awesome. But don't try and figure out why. That is a dead-end street. You've been down that street, right? How many have been down that street? Beloved, we are not able to figure it out with our human understanding because... Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God's ways, his ways of doing things, the the things he does and the things he allows. They're so much higher than our ability to understand it. Jesus told his disciples, I have so much I want to tell you, but you couldn't handle it. If God actually showed us why at times, we'd despair. God's thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Beyond our finding out with human reasoning, we need divine revelation to understand God. What? Did I mention this at all in here today? Divine revelation? This is how we understand what God is doing. Who he is, what he's doing. And we must fully trust him to be able to do that. Take heart, dear brothers and sisters, because God Seems random, seems unfair, unjust. There's a lot of injustice right now in my mind. But take heart because God knows exactly what he's doing. He is the rock. His deeds, his works, or his ways. They're perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God. What do you mean just and fair? Hey, if you have an argument with that because your circumstances don't seem very fair, take it up with God. Ask him about it. There's another thing. We often will think about things in our mind or even talk with other people, especially negatively, but we don't go to God and ask him because we know we don't really want to face God, especially when we're making a wrong decision. We'll talk to other people. I have this counseling method in this one too is, did you tell Jesus about that? These plans that you have, did did you actually talk them over with him? Yeah, well, my mom and dad said or... Well, you know, this. look at these. Um, wait, wait, did you ask it? No, of course not. We don't go and talk things over with Jesus because we know what we're going to hear, don't we? And we're not going to like it oftentimes. All we need to know right now is he is perfect in all of his ways. He's faithful. He's just and fair. He does no wrong. Anything that came into your life, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a tendency in the randomness to think that God doesn't know what he's doing. There's a better way to do it. There is no better way to do it or he would be doing it. And that he doesn't care. And you've got to get into scriptures and find out how much he really cares to battle that one. He is intimately and he's intricately managing the affairs of your life. And whatever happens to you is for the absolute best. And it fits perfectly into his plans. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. To us, it just seems random. It seems without rhyme or reason. But in reality, 
It's perfectly designed by God, and God has our best interest at heart. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. This is a tremendous promise of God to his people who are living for him. What? What? We just say that to anybody, don't we? Oh, don't worry about it. God's going to work it out for good. Oh, wait a minute. Read the rest of the verse. He promises to work it out together for good to those who love him, to those who are living for him, full out. It may or may not be a promise to somebody who's not bothering to love God or live for him. We've got to be careful what we say to people. We could be deceiving them. Hey, I thought you said your God was going to work this out for good. Uh, I didn't read the rest of the story. Sorry. Conclusion, and Jamie, you're going to come and pray, right? And then, Ron, you're going to play a song for us to close. In those times, this is a summary, in those times of severe testing and affliction, James, our beloved brother, is dead, beheaded. In those times when life doesn't make any sense and it's inconsistent at best, wait, James is dead, but Peter is spared. We gotta, we must turn to the scripture. We must turn to the word of God. We must put our trust in who we know God is, and we must put our trust in what we know God has said. Listen to this closing one, please. Hang with me for another. I know I went long. Hang with me for another minute. There's a version. It's the Passion Translation. I like that version. And it often uses this expression. The wraparound presence of God is your shield. I didn't get that at first. What, what the, the wraparound presence of God. So I had to meditate on it. Ask God to open it up to me by his Holy Spirit. And I began to get it. The presence of God surrounding us. It's the wraparound presence of God. Right now. You don't feel it, do you? But it's true. That presence of God surrounding us will not allow anything to touch us without his permission. And we just learned that anything he does allow to touch us, he will work it out for our great good. What a way to live life. What a way to live life. God is amazing. Jamie, will you come and pray? And then, Ron, you'll play, choose one of your songs, and you'll play a song for us as closing. Thank you, Father, for your sovereign word. Thank you that your word is truth. And outside of that truth, uh, there's not much hope. Thank you that we can live in you and you in us and that your ways are always perfect and good for our lives and our situations. And as was mentioned earlier, I know a lot of us uh, are harboring a lot of things. And so, Lord, I just want to first of all ask that you would forgive us. Forgive us for the sin that we live in, for the disobedience that we live in. Cleanse us, O Lord, and help us to live in righteousness. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we may follow you in them. Father, would this be a day of getting off the fence? Of throwing down our nets and following you? Father, would you heal each one of us in each one of the struggles that we're we're dealing with right now? Lord, that you would lift us up and beyond those situations. Maybe they won't be totally removed, but Lord, you will give us everything we need to walk through them and to come out victorious. Help us to see that, Lord, and to know that with all of our heart and to take great joy in it. 
Don't let the things of this world keep us down, Lord, but that you would lift us up today and, and give us a new uh, renewed strength and a renewed might, a renewed faith, and to have an understanding of the joy that we best can have through you, Lord. Thank you for uh, bringing us this word today. Lord, help us to process it uh, throughout this week, Lord, and to really uh, begin revealing your mysteries in it. Begin revealing to each one of us uh, the, the path that you would have us to take. I just want to thank you for that, Lord, and I want to thank you for this church body that you've given us, Lord, and just thank you for this place that we can come and be uh, together and share with one another, share life struggles with each other, and get beyond life struggles with one another. Thank you. Thank you for your great love for us and the, the love that you've given us for one another. Lord, would you guide us and direct us throughout this week that we truly would experience victories. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.